All right, I'm here with my good friend, Coach AJ Gio Giovanetti. So, uh, Gio, how's it going, man? Pretty good, Luke. How are you doing? It's good to see you. Yeah, not too bad. It's good to see you, too. It's good seeing anybody in times like this. Um, I totally agree. But I, uh, I thought we could get together and talk a little strength and conditioning stuff because that's been pretty different for us during the pandemic. And Hopefully, we're getting to a point where we're kind of reopening some things pretty soon. So the first thing I want to talk about is, um, so you're the strength and conditioning coach at Notre Dame Academy in Green Bay, Wisconsin. Yeah. And you and I have shared a passion for strength and conditioning for a long time. So how did that love of strength and conditioning start for you? Um, I don't know. I, I think, uh, really I knew that I wanted to do that probably about my sophomore or junior year of high school. Um, I kind of got connected. Like when I was, when I was in high school at Notre Dame Academy, we didn't have a strength coach as did most high schools at that point. Um, it was really like the football coaches that were running the, um, the weight room, but we did have an athletic trainer, um, at the time that helped out. And I really like connected with him and, uh, like I just, I was drawn to the way that um, he described how our body worked and how he, how he programmed the exercises um, to, to fit like how the body worked and how that pertained to, to football and all that stuff. And um, just his knowledge of everything, I, I was really drawn to. And I thought that that, that was pretty cool. I mean, um, the, the levels of discussions that I had later on with him um, as a high school kid, you know, set aside from the workout setting um, I really felt like I was talking to a doctor and that, that intrigued me, mm-hmm. um, learning about the human body in that way. But um, what didn't intrigue me was going to school for eight to 10 years. Nor am I smart enough to do that anyway. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, so I just, so that just seemed like a more realistic option to me um, to, to kind of study something that I was interested in. Um, it just, that appealed to me, I guess. And I, you know, you know, being a lineman too, it's kind of that lineman mentality, right? Like (laughs) putting in the work behind the scenes type of thing. And yeah, so so that's why I like that as an athlete. And, uh, and as a coach, same thing, like you're, you're just, you're grinding behind the scenes and no one really knows what's going on, but yeah, that's cool. We we do our thing. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. So with that, knowing that you wanted to go into strength and conditioning, I think it's a field that's getting more attention and kind of more widespread especially at the high school level like we're at but I think a lot of people still don't kind of understand the path of how would you become a strength and conditioning coach so what are some of the things that you did in terms of schooling certifications that sort of thing that's a that's a great question because that's a question that I get a lot um just kind of to go back a little bit high school strength and conditioning is is growing really fast um, a lot of schools are adding positions, but not only that, it's getting competitive because you're seeing like you're seeing a lot of college strength and conditioning coaches and even some professional strength and conditioning coaches come down to the high school level mm-hmm. because, you know, if you if you do it right, um, the pay really isn't all that different. I mean, we're not talking about like the, the top end, like, you know, Big Ten SEC kind of um, pay salary, but, you know, like your your mid-level or smaller D1s and on down. Um, the pay level is the same and there's a lot more job security and the hours are a lot more consistent. So you're seeing a lot of those guys trying to get into the high school level. Um, so, and the reason why I bring that up is because a lot of these guys are, um, are asking that question, right? 
Mm. And, you know, unfortunately for a lot of places, unless if you're like in Texas or Florida, you know, most other states are going to need a teaching certification. Mm -hmm. Um, And as you know, that's, that's a process that I had to go through. You know, I was, uh, I was an exercise physiology major coming out of college, um, which was, was great. I, you know, that was a good major for me and was exactly what I wanted and, and prepared me to be a strength coach. But then, uh, you know, in terms of getting a teaching position and things like that, I needed to go back and get my teaching certification. So I would say, um, above all strength and conditioning certifications, a teaching license is, is going to be the most important. But, um, mm-hmm. you know, when you look at those certifications, there's some like youth certifications out there. Um, the NSCA, you know, CSCS is probably the, is the most common and the gold standard right now. Yep. Um, I'm involved with uh, the National High School Strength Coaches Association, uh, which is a relatively uh, young organization. Um, and they're in the process of uh, developing their own certification too. So um, that's going to be specific. It's going to be the only certification that's specific to high school strength and conditioning. So that'll oh. be something to look out for um, in the next year that, that should be coming out. But, but yeah, just um, getting involved with the school because, you know, most schools are not going to pay a strength and conditioning coach a full-time salary just to do, you know, before and after school stuff. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's just the reality. So there's going to have to be some, some teaching involved in that. And, you know, if you can get, you know, somewhere like where I'm at right now, um, you can get your school and your administration to, to, um, to start having strength and conditioning classes. So now I can do some of that work during the day, um, right. which, which also helps too. But, um, but yeah, I mean, a lot of people kind of grasp onto that strength and conditioning certification and what do they need to do? But I would say hands down, um, the administration is going to be looking for that teaching license. Yeah. I think that's a really good point because I think, especially if you want to work at the high school level, when, you know, I've talked to athletes who want to take that track and I think that's a really important thing. Now with the national high school strength and conditioning association that you're talking about their new certification like Mm -hmm. so for your cscs through the nsca you have to have a four-year degree to even sit for that test right yeah yeah what's that national high school one gonna look like um those standards are still being developed i know what they're in the process of developing like all the textbook stuff right now Mm -hmm. um and now and i think that's done now they're developing the test um, and getting all the accreditation stuff squared away. So um, as far as I know, that that kind of stipulation hasn't been decided yet. Okay. Yeah, that is, I'm just curious for people who want to get in, or, you know, especially if you're just somebody who wants to work at your local high school or something like that. I think it's nice to have some sort of certification at the high school level because yeah. there's still plenty of people who are just kind of, you know, volunteering their time in the weight room, that sort of thing. But that's a, that's yeah. a good deal. So now I've had the pleasure of being up in your weight room and seeing some of your strength conditioning program. And I was wanting to get back again this summer and then the world (laughs) shut down. So hopefully uh, sometime soon I'll get back up there again. But take me through a little bit of your just philosophy specific to talking, talking about a strength and conditioning program at the high school level. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, the hard part with our job is, and it's no different from any job, like everyone's an expert, right? <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. so, and that's not always a bad thing. A lot of people have interest in it, but um, I think kids and parents come in with all these different views and expectations. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that's kind of been my job is to educate those, 
those kids and parents along the way about about this question. Um, I, I think one one big thing is I I don't treat female and male athletes differently. Yeah. Um, I know there's there's some different thoughts on that, um, but I, I as soon as kids come in the weight room, I I treat them all the same, and I, I treat them all like they've never touched a weight before. Right. Um, and, and we start out with very different, uh, we're very simple progressions, um, and just and teach them as they go and progress as they're ready, whether they're uh, a male or female. And that's that's the same thing from sport to sport too. You know, mm-hmm. uh, what what our philosophy is is it all comes down to triple extension. Yep. Um, and so we we try to train that that movement as much as possible, extending the ankle, knee, and hip at the same time. Um, so I, I know you guys do what we do and as far as the Olympic lifts and that's a, a big part of it. Um, but you know, there's other ways to attack that too with med ball tosses and, and different kinds of plyometrics. But um, it, there's always that catchphrase out there and it drives me nuts. The sports specific, right? Yep. Like I get it all the time. Like I need a, I need a, a basketball specific workout or yep. football specific exercises. Um, and that's, it, try to find a nice way to, to like you we just don't do that and uh, that's not that's not really I don't I don't see that as my job as a strength and conditioning coach you know that's the the sport coach's job to be working on those basketball skills what yeah. what I want our kids to develop when they're with me in the weight room is what I call sports transferable skills mm-hmm. so like the like I said the triple extension and the coordination and just working the central nervous system and, and developing um, movement characteristics that are going to transfer um, to their sport when they are working with their sport specific coach. Right. So with that, you're talking about the triple extension and some of those things. If you're talking to somebody who is starting like a high school strength and conditioning program for the first time, and obviously there's a lot of things that you can get into, but what are like a couple sort of essential lifts for you or, you know, lifts that you can, vary but what are kind of like yep this is kind of mandatory for me that I want to have in a program <laughs> yeah um so <laughs> there's always a, a template that I follow and, and we do more than this but um we're always going to squat twice a week yep um so and that's usually going to be a back squat or a front squat mm-hmm. um and and sometimes we'll throw in like single leg squats or split squats on top of that but we're yep. always gonna we're always gonna squat um moderately heavy twice a week Yep. Um, and then the, the template goes, um, a vertical press and a horizontal press. Okay. Mm-hmm. So like bench press or military or push press. And then the, on the flip side of that, a horizontal or vertical row. Yep. Um, and then, uh, posterior chain working the hamstrings and glutes and, uh, and, and the core work and all the auxiliary work that, that goes into that. But, um, for me, it, I feel like deadlifts are kind of making a comeback and, um, and I don't really have a problem with a deadlift. If I, you know, if I had trap, I don't have trap bars in my weight room. If I did, I would probably deadlift more, but, um, I would rather have my kids squat heavier twice a week than deadlift. Right. And I, I just, I feel like as a, as a lift, they, they get more out of it. They, you know, they're probably not producing as much force, but, um, with the, the eccentric phases that are involved in a squat, I just, I feel like it's a lot more of a, a beneficial lift. So I'd rather um, focus on that than, than the deadlift. But um, so yeah, squats and squats and cleans are probably my two, my two staples and, and variations of, you know, like yep. uh, we're not going to have freshmen come in and, and start doing hang cleans right away and, 
and back squat right away, but we're going to build them up to it. But um, when we're, when we're talking about our older kids that have been in the program for three or four years, those are, those are staples for sure. So with the Olympic lifts and when we talk about that, that's anything that's like a clean or clean variation, um, snatch or jerk. I mean, those are with anybody talking about Olympic lifts, those are the types yeah. of lift. Um, now there is, you know, always some debate in the strength and conditioning world about catching on Olympic lifts, especially with younger athletes, high school athletes, some just sort of work the concentric movement going up and then they're dropping the weight. They're not catching it. What's your theory on that? Um, our, our non-contact athletes, I'll still have catch a clean once in a while, but I don't emphasize it enough. Mm -hmm. Um, but I, I, I'm a big proponent of catching the clean. Uh, cause I think, you know, a lot of times as strength coaches, we talk about force production, right? Yep. Uh, how much force we can produce. Cause that transfers to a lot of things, but force absorption is extremely important. So being able to control our body while we're receiving that weight, um, and, and being nice and stable and strong in that position is, is important, you know, especially for like our, our football and, and hockey athletes at Notre Dame. Cause that, I mean, that's not even really, those aren't really contact sports. Those are collision sports. So like, right, right. you really gotta, you really gotta brace yourself and be able to um, take on an external load really. Um, right. So, so I, I really, I'm, I'm a big proponent of, of the clean and, and catching the clean and, and doing the full. Right. And we do that as well. I like the ability to decelerate weight as well. Yeah. And if you're having those guys coach, I mean, are you, teaching the full Olympic full squat when you're catching or you're kind of catching in a quarter squat. You're still working that concentric and just getting the elbows up underneath. Both. Um, okay. It depends. It depends on what phase we're in, but um, yeah, sometimes I, I just do a regular clean and they're, they're catching it in that quarter squat athletic position. Um, and, but sometimes we're catching it down in a full, full Olympic squat. Right. And then so, to answer your question too, you know, kind of before, I think, for, for coaches that are looking to implement Olympic lifts and the progressions into their program, um, like you said, there's a lot of different philosophies on that. Mm -hmm. When I was a, a young coach and I started out, we did everything. Right. We, did, we did hang clean, hang, um, uh, hang snatch, we did power snatch, power clean. We, I mean, we did it all, you name it. And I, I kind of felt like our kids were pretty good at it, but not very good at it. Right. Yeah. So, like, I, I didn't, I didn't feel like we we're in jeopardy of like getting kids injured or anything. But I just kind of, you know, after a year, just sat back and looked at the numbers and kind of felt like um, we should be pushing around some more weight on those lifts. And right. I just, I felt like maybe I was just throwing too much at those kids. Mm -hmm. So now, um, so now, all I do is I just keep it to cleans. We don't okay. do any kind of hanger power snatches. And and since I, I've made that adjustment. I, we've gotten pretty good at those lifts because it's, it's a lot of coaching. You know, yeah, when you, absolutely. when you think about it, Olympic lifting is a sport in and of itself. Mm. You know, it, it takes a lot of coaching. It's not just something that's going to happen. So, um, so I just, you know, we don't use it as a sport. We use it as a training tool. And I just felt like we needed to, to keep it a little more simple so that we could, we could really get better and excel at it and, and reap the benefits a little bit more of those lifts. And does that, kind of philosophy of, of simplicity kind of run throughout your program? Because that's something that I know we're big on with the program that we run is 
we're doing similar stuff all the time. So athletes can get good at it. We Mm -hmm. don't, you know, I I think a lot of times there's so much information out there now that people want to jump on the next new thing and whatever. I mean, so are you always trying to keep it? We're keeping it simple so that we can do it well. Yeah, absolutely. 100% with all our lifts. And, um, and even with, with the equipment too, I mean, your weight room is a lot like our weight room is you're not going to see fancy gadgets and all that stuff in there. And, um, and that's how some people, I guess, try to promote their programs, but, uh, but we don't need that. We just give me a bar and a platform and, <laughs> rack and, and we're good to go. You know? Like, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, we talked about squatting kind of as one of those foundational lifts. It's the same with our program. I think we could say the same thing about it's the cleans and squats or be the gold standard things we need to have when you're coaching squat. Cause there's always some debate about that as well. How are you coaching up in terms of depth for your athletes? What are some of, you know, just a few coaching points. Yeah, that's, to be honest with you, that's something that I, I struggle with as a coach and, and debate a lot in my head because there's there's a lot of good research coming out now on quarter squats yeah, and how it's more applicable. And and theoretically, when you think about it, it makes sense. You know, that's that's the athletic position. That's that's what you're going to find yourself in, you know, when you're playing your sport. You know, very rarely are you going to be down in like a, a half squat or like full squat with your butt to the floor. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and just for those watching, like, Quarter squat would be like, again, getting down to an athletic position. Um, half squat would be thighs parallel to the floor. And then a full squat would be like what you see in the Olympics, like butt almost on the ground type thing. So yep. just, so, just so we're on the same page as what we term the different depths. But, um, but what I always go back to um, and why we half squat now. So like I said, I just said my verbal cue is tops of the thighs parallel to the floor. That's what we're looking for in our squat depth squat depth. Um, the reason why I always go back to that, um, is because of sheer force, because when we, when we squat to that depth, that's the safest position for our knees to be in when we're transferring that load and then rise up and stand up. Because when we're, when our knees are at that angle, there's less sheer force. And what that means is there's less bone on bone gliding and and movement in the joint. You know, obviously we Mm -hmm. don't, we don't want extra movement in the joint. We don't want all that gliding and sliding around. So, um, and a full squat is even safer than that, really. Um, so, you know, you get like those old myths, like about squatting low and stuff and how it's bad for the knees. And that's, that's really not true. The, the lower you squat, the better it is for the knees. Right. So, so right. I don't know. I, I don't think there's a, a right or wrong answer to that. Part of that is just, I mean, you know how it is. And it's kind of how we were raised to squat, I guess. <laughs> yeah. um, so, so there's that hurdle of getting over, but, um, yeah, I, I guess I, I'm not opposed to it. And I, I think that probably goes back to why we catch the clean in different angles. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so they are getting that more athletic position, um, type work in, in those exercises. Um, but, but yeah, I don't know. Yeah. Oh, I think you hit on a lot of points. I always just think that's interesting. We coach the same way to that parallel half squat area just because I like to emphasize the range of motion and just Mm -hmm. you know movement principles as well I figure if you can move to that level then quarter squat's going to be fine and we do we do deadlifts and some things that I know a lot of programs don't do so I feel like we're getting that uh, kind of quarter squat athletic position from there as well 
our freshmen get a lot of quarter squats in anyway. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, that's yeah. absolutely right. <laughs> so that's something we, uh, it's definitely a problem that we try to address, but yeah, I like, like I said, I don't want to, I don't want to say there's a right or wrong answer to that. Cause there's not, it's just, I don't know what you, what you're comfortable with, I guess, and what, what you want from your athletes. Mm-hmm. So we talked a little bit about your squatting twice a week. How are you breaking down your workouts during the week in terms of how many times are you, you know, is it full body every time that you're in the weight room, that sort of thing? Um, th- that's another thing that I've, I've kind of adapted and been playing around with these last two years. Um, depending on the year, like I used to do a three day or the time of year, I used to do like a three day, um, or four day split. Um, and in the summer when we have more time, we do a four day split and I do like an upper body, you know, two times a week and a lower body, um, slash full body two times a week. But now I've been messing with the Joe Ken tier system and I've been having really good success with that. Um, and, uh, you know, still trying to tweak it a little bit and, uh, and kind of find our niche. Um, and I was really, I, kind of felt good about honing that in this summer Um, (laughs) I got pushed off to the side but um but we'll get that in in July um so basically what that what that means that that tier system is is we're doing a little bit of everything every day okay Um, but we emphasize different movements on different days and that's kind of how they get the recovery Mm -hmm. Um, so you know one day might be a full body where like the the clean is really going to be the emphasis for that day and then we might have, and then we'll have like a secondary squat, um, and then uh, like a lower, um, a lower kind of press type of thing that's not going to be as strenuous. And, you know, and then we'd come the next day, and um, it'd be lower body emphasis. So then the, the squat would be like the, the main thing, um, and then we'd we'd still press um, on that day. I would do like a hang clean pull type thing. So we're still getting the the triple extension. Mm-hmm. Um, and the explosiveness, but again, it's not going to be as intense as a clean. Um, and then the, the upper body emphasis on that third day. Um, and then I was going to use the fourth day as more of like an auxiliary kind of day. So okay. no real main lifts, but um, a lot of core work um, and, and our auxiliary lifts and really emphasizing that too. And with that type of model, is that kind of in line with, there seems to be more research coming out about not exhausting yourself so much in a singular workout so that you can do more cumulatively throughout the week? Yeah, that definitely plays a role in that. I think, I mean, that kind of plays a role in my thinking no matter what system I use. Mm -hmm. We've talked about that before. I know like load management is so huge for high school kids nowadays more than ever because it's not just our training session and you really don't know what kids are doing outside of their time with us. I mean, some of these kids are are trying to balance three sports at one time, not just over the course of a school year. Right. And so, you know, they're, they're having practice for their high school sport and then they're running off to, to club sports and, and doing all that on top of um, their training with us and maybe even training with somebody else. You know, the, the schedule that these kids have are, it's, it's ridiculous in my opinion, but um, so load management is, is something that we always look at. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I feel like, yeah, to your point, like we can be more efficient. I, I feel like with this program, we can get a lot more work in, in less time, you know, sure. so we're not, we're not, we're not overdoing it. We're, we're, I, I'm a firm believer in maximizing efficiency. I don't, I don't want the kids in there longer than they need to be. Cause you know, like I said, they got a million other things going on. So. Right. Well, 
That's maybe a good time to talk about when I was up in your weight room, one of the things that maybe struck me the most is I'm always looking at what other people are doing and what we can maybe implement in our weight room. And I would say your weight room was a lot faster paced than ours in terms of while your kids were doing a core lift, they were typically in between sets doing some sort of complementary type of exercise movement type of thing. Mm-hmm. How are, how do you work in things like that to keep it efficient, to get kids in quickly and hit all the things you want to hit? Yeah. Um, yeah. So what you're referencing is like our, our A and B like supersets. So, um, and, and this has been huge for us. I, since I started doing this, I found my, I found myself coaching a lot less, mm-hmm. um, and which is good, you know, cause you don't want to be just over coaching and saying too much and information overload on the kids but but you're exactly what you said you know a lot of times with our squats um they're doing some kind of hip mobility or ankle mobility exercise um in between their squat sets to really kind of keep them loose and i've just uh, through those auxiliary exercises that we superset with i've just kind of made the assumption that all kids have the same movement problems at the high school <laughs> level right. which which, you know, 90% of the time you're, you're going to be correct. And, and even if you're incorrect, the extra work isn't going to hurt anyway. So, um, you know, with our squats, we've been doing a lot of ankle mobility because we have a lot of kids um, with, with tight ankles. And when they try to get down low, um, that those tight ankles prevent them from getting good squat depth or, or you see them moving their feet around on the ground to compensate for that lack of ankle mobility so they can get down all the way mm-hmm. or they're rising up to their toes because their ankles – aren't bending the way that they should and all that. So, um, so, you know, trying to just be proactive and correct those problems right away and, and keep working on those problems. I mean, our seniors do those things too. It's not, that's not just a new um, kid to the weight room type exercise or setup. I just, um, I've, I've found that our kids are moving a lot better. Um, it keeps them busy and occupied. So there's not as much standing around. Mm. That I don't like, um, <laughs> Uh, so I, I think there's there's a lot of benefits to that to that mm-hmm. type of system. So, what are some specific things in terms of the phases of your program and like periodization, specifically with regards to what you were talking about in terms of not overloading high school athletes who are busy, who a lot of the athletes we're coaching are multiple sport athletes involved in a lot of things. How do you run that sort of periodization and peaking and that sort of thing? Yeah, that's, that's always a hard uh, philosophy to get, uh, get through to some of the sport coaches. I think, you know, some coaches want their athletes to be in shape all year long. And that's just, that's not realistic. And that, that really sets us up for failure. You know, if kids are, are at peak condition all year long, then they're kind of, they're setting themselves up for overuse injuries and, and all that. And that's just, that's not, that's not a very realistic goal for, for high school kids. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, it's trying to, trying to get them to peak, um, right, right before the season starts, um, is, is our, is always our goal. And then, um, I'm not, when it comes to in season, I'm not a maintenance kind of guy. Mm-hmm. Like we're still lifting heavy in season. And yep. I, I have the, the philosophy, if you're not getting better, you're getting worse. Right. Right. So, uh, it may, it's just, it's hard to maintain, especially if you're like, like I said before, if you're one of those collision sport guys where your body's getting beat up a little bit and you're, you're not really doing your part in the weight room, you're going to get weaker. 
um, and you're going to get more susceptible to injury. So, um, so we do, you know, we might not lift as much in the season, you know, as far as frequency goes. Um, but we, when we are in the weight room, um, it's, it's, they're still going to get some work in. Um, there might be days, um, where I, I, you know, maybe it's after a game or whatever, and the kids come in pretty beat up and, and then I might adjust the workout accordingly, but, um, but otherwise, you know, from a philosophical standpoint, yeah, we're, we're going, we're lifting heavy. Um, as far as like all year long, I guess it, it kind of depends on the sport and their goals. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, for like our football guys, you know, we're, we're a relatively, typically we're kind of a small team, mm-hmm. um, in, in both numbers and size. So, um, I always, I, I like to take the winter um, and even the beginning part of the spring and really focus on the hypertrophy part of it. Yep. Um, but, you know, then again, a lot of our football kids are playing basketball and other stuff too. So, you know, it's, it's kind of hard that way. And you always got to adjust on the fly and, and adapt. But um, hypertrophy more so in the winter and spring. Um, then when we kind of get to spring, early summer, I, not that we don't do hypertrophy stuff, but um, more of the focus is on the development aspect of it. Mm-hmm. Um, where we um, we're kind of taking that that new muscle tissue that we've developed, um, and we're we're developing it into stronger tissue, um, and then work our way more towards the peak phase as we get closer um, to the season. Um, I I I'll be honest with you. I know it's kind of old school. I'm I'm more of a linear guy. Yeah. Um, so not many coaches do that anymore. I feel like, but uh, we've had pretty good success with it. Um, and I, I think with kids constantly coming in and out of the weight room, because we're like you guys, we have a lot of multi-sport athletes where, mm-hmm. we're, uh, especially in comparison to the schools that we compete against, we're small. Um, so, uh, we got kids that are constantly coming in and out of the weight room and starting, you know, in different phases and things like that. So I, I just feel like from an organization standpoint, the linear, um, uh, program works pretty good for us. Um, but you know, there's, there's many out there and I've, I've done my research on them and, and those work too, I guess, but I just, mm-hmm. I, I stick to that. Cause like I said, it's, it's easy to, to pull kids in and out of different phases that way, I guess. So then linear kind of explaining for people listening is sort of the, you have a hypertrophy phase where you're working on essentially thickening the muscle fibers, you're building that new muscle. Then there's sort of a strength phase. We're getting into a power phase and kind of a peak performance phase. And you're doing that over the course of be it a year or a set of months or whatever it might be. That's sort of the linear type of phase. So with that, if you have athletes, you know, are in certain sports, might you have in the weight room athletes who are in different, parts of that phase depending on their sport or is everybody kind of in the same yeah sometimes especially during the school year we have a mix of kids so um and that can be kind of chaotic but yeah we have kids that are in different phases that are lifting um together for sure i mean you 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 have to there's only so many hours in a day so you gotta you gotta get the kids in and um and that would be probably another way that i differentiate from um in-season lifting too like even though we um, lift heavy in season we're not going through the hypertrophy phase in season mm-hmm. so well we might be a little bit more intense than a lot of schools where we we do decrease the volume um, in season and that's really what we can can kind of get away with lifting a little bit heavier is because they don't they don't have the volume and they're not putting the stress on the body that way because right. 
because as you know, volume puts a lot more stress on the body than the intensity does. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think that's a great point there for anyone wanting to start a strength and conditioning program, especially for high school athletes is for us, we're even smaller than you. So our athletes are in season pretty much all the time. I mean, most of our athletes are, are doing multiple sports, which is part of the reason that we do sort of the weekly undulating periodization where we're it's four weeks, basically two of our weeks are power. One is strength and then one is sort of a more hypertrophy, but we're still not doing a ton of hypertrophy because that's, we don't want to get athletes sore, overwork them with the load, that sort of thing. But do you think that when you're in season, that is a focus, like you said, we like to lift hard too all year. That's kind of one of our things, but mm-hmm. I think is, a common misconception with athletes is like, well, I'm not going to, I don't want to lift because I'm going to get sore for competition this week or whatever, where you can lift pretty heavy loads and be pretty good. And there's a lot of research out there that shows that actually increases performance. Would you agree with that? 100%. Yeah. And like you said, that's a, that's a hard battle to fight. And I, and I pick and choose my battles with that, especially um, in my PE classes, my strength and conditioning classes. Um, you know, the, the one time, like, I'll, I'll get a little more lenient with kids that have my class in the afternoon, mm-hmm. you know, and especially the younger kids, because, you know, I might have kids coming into the weight room at two o'clock for their strength and conditioning class. And if they're a freshman or sophomore, they might be competing at 3.30. Right. You know, so, so in that instance, I do have like a separate game day workout for them where they're working more um, mobility and, and central nervous system stuff. To, mm-hmm. to actually get them ready for their game a little bit more. But, you know, if a kid comes in at nine in the morning and isn't competing until seven o'clock that night, we're gone. Yeah. <laughs> right. We're, we're lifting. Mm-hmm. And that, that is a, that's a, a hurdle. And um, I think we're starting to turn the corner on that. Um, I think some kids, what, what you want is, you know, a lot of times coaches and, and kids base, a good workout session off of how they feel afterwards. Yeah. Um, which is, which is accurate, right? That's how you should. But a lot of times they feel like um, they need to be totally exhausted for it to be a successful workout. Right. You know, and, and you try to get to the point across like kids should feel good and refreshed, you know, when they're done working out. Yeah. Um, now obviously you're going to have newbies that are, are going to be, um, you know, sore and things like that. And that's, kind of the acclimation phase right but mm-hmm. you know for our juniors and seniors like when they get done with a workout you know, I don't care if we maxed them out and did testing like they should leave the work the, the weight room refreshed and feeling good about themselves right. um, and, and I think we're kind of turning the corner on that where they're kind of taking some of our older kids that do lift um, during the day and on the day of competition um, they're kind of taking that like that feeling of you know accomplishment and confidence leaving the weight room. And I think they're seeing that transfer to their, to the competition that night. Absolutely. So we've talked a lot about specifically the weight room side of strength and conditioning. How are you incorporating say speed work, agility work, conditioning, any of those sorts of things? Yeah. Um, in the, in the summer, we, we get a lot of that in, um, in the, in the winter it gets hard because, I would ideally I would do it all year long. Right. Um, but in, in the winter it gets hard just with facility space and obviously being in Wisconsin, we can't go outside. 
you know, but when you got um, six basketball teams practicing, <laughs> gym, space, <laughs> gym space is a premium. So I would, I would like to do it more. I'll admit we don't do it enough. Mm. Um, but under certain, under good circumstances, like in the summer when we do have facility space, um, I think something that I've been focusing a lot more on lately is just all out sprinting. Sure. And, and not even, not even for long distances. I mean, even if it's 10, 20 yards and, and very rarely do our kids sprint more than 40 yards. Right. But I just, there's so much benefit to just having our kids um, moving at full speed yeah. and, and not moving slow and being explosive. And um, just like the weight room, uh, sprinting, there's a lot of physiological adaptations that come along with it that are, are very conducive to training athletes that go beyond just speed. Mm-hmm. So, you know, there's some strength factors with, with sprinting too. And there's, you know, uh, injury risk, um, you know, that, that we can decrease that, that chance of injury with, with sprinting and all that stuff. So, um, so I've, I've really been trying to focus more on getting our kids moving fast. Yeah. Um, and as far as agility goes, yeah, that's just trying to be creative, I guess. Uh, trying to get away from the cone drills. <laughs> yeah. Trying to get away from the agility ladders. I, I hate agility ladders. I, yeah. <laughs> so, well, uh, yeah. yeah, I think that's exactly what we've done too. We don't do really anything for speed and agility specific work during the school year, because again, our athletes are all in season. Yeah. During the summer, actually, in Iowa is when we play baseball, softball as well. But we always work out in the morning, so our kids are accustomed to coming and working really hard in the morning, and then they're still good to go for baseball, softball at night. And we've been lucky that kids are used to that. But we kind of emphasize the same thing. It's, you know, flat-out speed is what we want. That's applicable to all sports. And yeah. then for agility stuff, I mean, I think over time, when I first started, you know, we were doing – ladders and uh yeah, you know the defined too. cone pattern drills and yeah. we've moved a lot more towards sort of those open skill reactive agility types of things because it's it's more like a sport you're reacting to something and having to change direction quickly instead of in a set pattern are those some of the things you've been implementing as well yeah just trying to um, get kids to react and you know we still do some of those old school cone drills, but try to, we, we try to add a reaction component to it. You know, I, I think before we try to make it totally spontaneous and just completely reactive, um, especially for our high school kids, you know, it's, we, we do need to do those planned movements to teach kids the body position and, and how to change direction properly. So, mm-hmm. so I don't want to rig on those too much, but, uh, but so there's a little bit, I feel like I know some coaches would disagree. I feel like there's still a little bit of a place for those drills. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, then it's, you know, adding a reaction component. So maybe it's doing, you know, lining up, facing a partner for pro agility and, and doing rock, paper, scissors, and, and the winner determines which way you're going or whatever, you know, right. different things like that. Um, but um, but I, I try to get the kids in open space and, and try to have them rea- react to an external object, whether it's a teammate or a ball or whatever. And, and try to work on agility that way. And when you're doing speed stuff, are you timing things? That's something that's been a bigger point of emphasis for us that I thought 
that was kind of a failure on my part was we weren't timing enough of our running so that athletes sort of had that clock to work against. Even when we're running, you know, against each other during summer running, it's just that idea of always timing everything. So they're doing that. Have you done a lot with timing when you're doing your speed work? I focus more on timing the recovery periods, um, to be okay. honest with you. Um, I, I guess it depends on the fate. Like if we're doing 10s or 20s, like you can tell which kids are going hard and which are, are not. Um, sure. And that's, it's kind of hard to get a clock on that because you're just, times are going to be small, like short anyway, right? Right. Um, so sometimes that's kind of hard to, to relay to the kids. Kids are always going to know 40s right? Yeah. Like that's the gold standard. So if you're, if, if our kids are running 40 yard sprints or even like a 30, then I'll yell out times because that's more of a point of reference that hits home with those kids. Mm-hmm. You know, if I'm yelling out 10 or 20 times, that probably, that doesn't, I don't know if that really means a whole lot to them. I'm, I'm just not sure. 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 Um, I, I would like to time more. I know we looked at getting into a timing system. Mm-hmm. Um, I want to, what I would time more in the actual running portion of it, if I had the, really the tools to do it is the flying part, like, sure. uh, you know, building up to like a 20 yard sprint and just, um, timing their top end speed, I think is really good. Right. Um, and that's, that's something that I would like to do. And hopefully we can get some electronic timers along the way and, and make that happen. Um, but, um, for me, when kids are sprinting, I really focus on that work to rest ratio. Okay. And that's, that's really what I focus my clock on because I, I want kids moving as fast as they can, like we talked about. Mm-hmm. Um, so like, you know, again, this might drive some coaches nuts, but um, when, when we are sprinting, it's kind of like the opposite philosophy of what we talked about in the weight room. I kind of want our kids walking around a little bit um, and right. taking their time between their sprints. They don't need to jog back to the start line or, or mm-hmm. jog to the next station or whatever. Um, I want them, I want them recovering so that when we get to that next sprint, they're moving at full speed because I think that that's the the biggest thing, right? That's mm. the main thing. Uh, keep the main thing, the main thing, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, so, um, and, and along the, along the way, you know, kind of depending on how the kids are doing, you know, over the course of a summer or, or a, a phase, you know, then we take that rest um, period and, and slowly decrease it. And, and the goal there, and this is where the time in the sprints would come into play. You know, the goal is to, to keep the kids um, running at the same speed as they did in the beginning of the summer with more recovery mm-hmm. um, at, at, as at the end of the summer with less recovery. So hopefully they're, right. they're recovering less, but still moving just as fast, if not faster. Sure. Well, I think that's a really important consideration. And that's something that, you know, sometimes I've, you know, not paid enough attention to that recovery time because if you have a large group of athletes and you're trying to get a certain amount done, but I think that's an important distinction for coaches is that if you're working speed or like if we're doing plyometric exercises like a box jump or something like that, it's not a conditioning drill. It's we're training the speed or we're training the explosiveness and making that distinction I think is important are those things that you are explaining to your athletes as you're doing some of the things like, here's the why we're doing it and why we're doing it this way so that they have an understanding of that. I try to. Yeah. Um, I'll full disclosure. That's, that's something that I feel like me as a coach, I need to get better at mm-hmm. um, is explaining the why I, 
and you, you've seen me in the weight room. So, you know, there's times where I'm running around like with my head cut off. But, <laughs> yeah. Um, and I, and I and I get caught up in that maybe too much. Um, and sometimes I need to slow myself down and really do a better job of explaining that theoretical stuff to the kids mm-hmm. about you know the why. Um, but yeah, I mean, I I, I try to, but yeah, I, I need sure. to. That is definitely something I need to do a better job of. I feel like in the probably on the field and during the running portion of the workouts, I do a better job of that. In the sure. weight room, I'm I'm kind of gung ho. I just we got to get moving. Get moving. <laughs> right. So you talked about like working with freshmen for the first time, and your your school is a little bigger than ours. I'm fortunate that normally junior high kids start showing up in our weight room, and that's sort of our time to start really teaching movement. We're not loading weights on the kids, that sort of thing. But when do you typically get to start working with athletes? When do you think a good time for athletes to start jumping into some of those strength conditioning things is? Now, (laughs) (laughs) no matter what age you're in. Um, Yeah, that's something we need to do a better job of, but that's just a, that's a hard demographic to work with because that's just one more place that they need to go. Right. Um, you know, cause middle school kids are just as busy as high school kids when it comes to athletics. Yep. And that's, I, you know, I've had a, a strength and conditioning camp in the summer, the last couple of summers, and I was bummed out we didn't get to do that this year with our middle school kids. But, um, but that's, that's just a hard sell because they're, they're so busy. And um, usually, you know, as you know, and that's not right. I don't agree with it. But the strength and conditioning is usually the first thing to go when, when the schedule gets busy. But right. Um, I think if, if you're doing it properly, you can, you can start your kids like fourth or fifth grade, really. Yeah. Um, you know, and that might scare some parents, but that doesn't mean you're throwing a bar on their back right away and expecting them to squat. Right. You know, it's just, it's teaching, like you said, teaching them how to move properly so that um, when they do get mature enough and coordinated enough to start putting some weight on, it's going to be so much easier for them to get stronger because they've already got the movement patterns down. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, I'm fortunate. My own two children spend a lot of time around our strength and conditioning program. I've got an eight and a nine year old at home. So they, they do strength and conditioning work, specific strength and conditioning work. They have their own you know workouts and things. But I think another great thing about that is they get to kind of build a love for it. They get to see, they get to see athletes grow and improve. I mean, that's one of my favorite things about the weight room is that maybe more than any other place in sports and in school is you can, you can see improvement. You can see how the work translates to new strength, new speed, those sorts of things. So that's just kind of a point for me as well. I like seeing young people around it just to get the atmosphere. I was like your kids. I was a coach's kid growing up. Right. And, and being around high school kids, just, um, you know, aside from the sport aspect of it was, was pretty cool. I mean, just instant role models right away as a, a little kid is, is good. But yeah, then, you know, seeing the work that those kids are putting in, in high school, um, you know what the expectations are when you get there. And, um, I, yeah, that it's a huge benefit just being around it. And, and it's fun. Mm-hmm. I've seen your kids there. They have a blast. Oh, Absolutely. So, so yeah, I, I think that's good for sure. So we've hit on a couple kind of common questions or misconceptions or concerns that get brought up with strength and conditioning. You know, one being 
the age to start an athlete, you know, different types of lifts and things like that. You mentioned female athletes, not really treating female athletes different than male athletes. And that's something that we're lucky at our school, pretty established. Our female athletes work really hard. They lift, they're strong, and that certainly benefits our athletic programs. But that's always kind of a it's something that comes up where you have young female athletes who I don't want to lift because I don't want to get big or I don't want to get too bulky or those sorts of things. So what do you say to that concern? Um, you know, sometimes I guess it depends on the kid. Um, but that, that does come up a lot. Um, you know, sometimes you just talk about how hormones are different and that's just not how their bodies, their bodies are not going to respond to resistance training the same way that a male's body is going to. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I also talk about, you know, unfortunately females are at a big disadvantage when it comes to ACL injuries. Right. And I, you know, so I just, it, it sucks for them. I, I feel bad for them, but you know, we talk about the importance of, of being strong to help minimize that injury risk. Um, and, and fortunately um, we've been really successful with, um, with ACL injuries, like the, the kids that train with us and in our program, we've had very few ACL injuries um, over the last couple of years. And that's probably, that's something that I'm extremely proud of. So um, that's good data and feedback to give to those kids. Like, you know, and, and along the way, you know, you, you can point out those older girls in the weight room to the younger girls and, and, and how they look, you know, not like a big bulky, you know, power lifter. Um, but, you know, just like a, a normal female athlete, really. Right. Um, but that, that is something that's in the back of their mind. Sometimes, um, you know, I'll, I'll show like um, videos of female like Olympic weightlifters that are actually on like Team USA or whatever, um, just for like technique purposes. Um, but it seems like when I'm showing them those videos for technique purposes, the, the female population are automatically drawn to what the girls look like. You know? <laughs> right. and, I, and I think... So I think that reinforces that too, because when you look at those Olympic lifters, they're extremely strong women, you know, but they're, they don't look any different. They, they, uh, they don't look like that, a big hairy power lifter, you know, like <laughs> a type that I feel like all girls have in, in their mind. Right. But that, and you know, that's something that I asked for a little bit. That, it's hard coming from a, a male coach too. So, so that's something that I try to get some help with from their, you know, female sport coaches as well and try to have them reinforce that. Um, but just showing them examples and, and, you know, just with, as with other things too, like we're not, we're not doing anything different than anybody else, you know? And when you look at other high schools, like you said, you're doing the same thing. Um, when you look at other colleges, we're doing the same thing. So just reinforcing those, those principles and those ideas that, and we're just, you're, you're not going to be any different. Sure. And then, so the last kind of thing, and I, I know this is a sort of a passion of yours or, uh, or maybe on the other side, a pet peeve of yours is specialization. You know, the <laughs> idea that as a high school athlete has to specialize on one sport. So what are your thoughts on that? Oh man. <laughs> I just, I think um, there's even from a training standpoint, there's so much to gain from playing another sport, mm -hmm. you know? So, you know, you look at 
um, you know, like maybe a football guy playing basketball in the winter and, mm-hmm. and working on footwork. And, and what are they doing? They're, they're sprinting a lot, right? right? And working on hand-eye coordination and, and all that stuff. You know, so um, our hockey coach talks about it a lot. You know, like our kids can handle a puck, but can they catch a ball? And, you know, so like I, when, when you're in our weight room, I think you saw like those, um, those sticks, the, the Hiko sticks that we're throwing around, right? Because mm-hmm. our, our hockey coach is a big believer, you know, in working on hand-eye coordination and, and things like that. So, um, you know, so there's there's so many benefits that way. Plus, just getting a, a mental and physical break. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, the problem then is, you know, if kids don't specialize, then you have the dual participation, which is another problem in itself. Um, like I talked about, you might have like a a female basketball player going from basketball practice in January to club volleyball practice all in that same night, you know, mm. um, which, which also isn't good. I, I think kids really, you know, training should be all year long um, as far as your, the sports transferable skills, not sports uh, specific skills. Um, but I think it, it's okay for kids to take a break from their sport. Right. Um, and I, you know, and I know he's a, he's a different cat, but um, I, I hope all high school athletes out there, Watch the docu-series of The Last Dance on Michael Jordan that just came out. Oh, and, right. And I don't, I don't know if you watched that, but there, there are so many good things in there that I think high school kids need to see. But um, one of them was even, you know, Michael Jordan. Put, he would put down a basketball in the offseason. Right. You know, and, and he would – and a lot of it was he said, I needed a mental break, and a lot of it was he wanted to play golf. <laughs> right. So just doing other things. And not that he never touched a basketball in the offseason, you know, as a – as the season got closer, he'd amp up his, you know, shots and all that stuff. But um, kids, kids and coaches need to realize that it's okay to take a break from your sport. It's not, it's not gonna, it's not gonna kill them. I don't believe in the rule of 10,000. I just, I don't think our central nervous system really operates that way. Um, You know, yeah, when the season comes around, you might have to shake off the rust a little bit, but, but I, I think that's, that's gonna come back fairly quickly. Um, compared to what a lot of people think. So um, taking both a mental and physical break from your sport, working on other skills, um, continuing to train through that process, uh, I think is extremely important. Developing your toolbox, right? Yeah. Because um, there's, you know, even, you know, football and other sports, there's there's a lot of things that you can't coach in practice. Mm-hmm. You know, it, the games are completely spontaneous and and unplanned, really. Mm-hmm. You know, you can draw up a play, but how often does a play go as drawn, you know, very rarely. So, <laughs> right. so kids have to have the, the, the central nervous system capacity to be able to adjust to those changes on the fly. Mm-hmm. Um, they've got to have the mental capacity to do that. Um, and that's hard to do when you're mentally fatigued from doing the same thing all year long. Um, I, I don't know. I, <laughs> I feel like I'm rambling because there's just there's, <laughs> when, that, when that topic comes up, there's so many thoughts that go through my head, but um, yeah. No, I, I think you hit exactly. I mean, you hit some really good points. And, and I think for me too, one thing I try to emphasize is I like when, I mean, if an athlete is say a star in one sport, like let's say yeah. football, I think there's a lot of benefit to not being the best baseball player on the team, you know, to, to yeah. being in a role player capacity because you're doing different stuff and learning, 
I mean, just learning how to fill roles and learning how to be coached in different ways and being coached yeah. by different people, I think is important too. So, um, yeah. yeah, yeah, I agree. That's a, a, an important life skill, right? Yeah. You're, you're going to have many different bosses when you grow up, uh, different teachers, different professors, uh, you got to be able to adapt and, and be successful in different situations and, and being involved in different sports definitely, uh, helps with that. Mm-hmm. So we've talked a lot about kind of under our normal conditions, what we're doing, but of course this year has been different. Um, I know you've been like us here in Wisconsin, I'm here in Iowa, but we've been out of the weight room for a long time now. Uh, So what are, what have you been doing in sort of this remote learning, remote training phase that we have been in, in terms of what you're sending out to athletes? How's that been going? Yeah, I, I probably haven't been as hands-on as a lot of coaches. Um, just because I, I think Zoom workouts are hard for what I want the kids to be doing. And that's, yep. you know, right now the message that I'm trying to get to the kids is this is, this we need to be sprinting right now. Mm-hmm. Like I, I've, I've been sending, I send them workouts. I send them speed and agility workouts every week. Um, I send them body weight movement, um, type resistance, exercise, workouts. Um, which are fine and that's great and it's a lot of the stuff that our kids need to work on anyway to get stronger and be better lifters Mm -hmm. so you know so I don't want to discount that that stuff's still important but um, to get the most bang for our buck our kids need to be sprinting right now and that's that's the message that I've been trying to get across to them and you know I I type that in my notes uh, every week and um, I I just want them moving fast Um, you know early on when we got through this phase you know, the kids were no different than anybody else. We just didn't handle it well because we didn't know how to, to respond. Right. Excuse me, we've never really been in this situation before. So um, talking, to, through, uh, talking to a lot of our kids, you know, a lot of them were like, oh, coach, you know, I went for like a 20-minute jog today or, you know, ran three miles or whatever. And I'm like, so, uh, so that was tough. That was something I had to squash. And I, and I get that. Like, it's, that's an easy – if you're bored, that's an easy workout to come up with. And kind of like what we talked about in the beginning, um, it's, it's going to be hard, right? Like the kids are going to be exhausted after that, but that's, that's actually not only is that not what they need, you know, unless if they're cross country kids, um, that's not what they need, but it's all, it it gets to a point where it's going to be counterproductive. Right. So, um, I really emphasized on, you know, if you're training slow, you're going to be slow. So, you know, if you, if you're looking for extra stuff to do to stay busy, uh, just repeat a sprint workout. Um, right. so, so that's really what I've been emphasizing, um, to our kids these, these last couple months. And, um, and then, like I said, with, with like the mobility exercises and the core exercises, you know, if the kids have been doing it, when we get in the weight room, they should, they should be ready to go. Right. You know? Yeah. I think that's important. We've been doing the same thing. I continually preach to our kids that this is an opportunity like any other time that we can get better at some things that we maybe don't make our central focus in terms of movement patterns and some things like that, that, yeah, we should come back into the weight room and maybe that max strength of throwing as much weight on the squat rack isn't going to be there the first day, but your movement patterns should be better than ever. You should be in good conditioning. You should have been doing that, that speed training. So Talking to uh, the other message I've been trying to get across too, and talking to other coaches in other states that have um, already been training, mm-hmm. um, have already started their summer programs. 
they've they've said it's it's very clear right away who's been doing their workouts <laughs> and who have not who have not been doing their workouts. So um, I've been trying to get that message across to to the kids that I've been talking to. Like, well, no, <laughs> right. we'll you, we will know when you get back what you've been doing and what you haven't been doing. Yeah, I I'm interested for that as well. But I mean, how how are you feeling in terms of the way your kids have been picking up on it after sort of that initial phase? Has it been going all right? Um, yeah, I think so. I mean, the, uh, the autonomy that the kids have is a struggle for any high school kid. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and it, there's a lot of ownership in that. And I think, I think as we've progressed through this phase, um, you've seen some kids step up in the leadership role. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, as coaches, we've, we've been told that we're not allowed to tell our kids to do like captain's practices or, or to get together in groups outside of, um, outside of, you know, the school stuff. But, um, but that's kind of been happy naturally, yep. which, which I like to see, you know, and the kids, it sounds like they've been safe about it and trying to adhere to the, some of the guidelines and being smart about, um, not doing it when sick and, and all that stuff. But, um, it, it is good to see kids kind of taking ownership and, and getting some groups together and, and, and working and, and pulling along their teammates. So um, as we get closer to our start date, I've, I've been uh, hearing more about that, which is, which is encouraging. That's good to hear. It's been the same for me, just hearing from athletes that some are organizing things and the same thing, trying to make sure we're staying safe. But uh yeah, that's been good to hear. And something I've been telling the kids is our, you know, I think our success in all of our sports every year, you can draw a pretty straight line correlation to how well our summer goes specifically. Yeah. And this year, a lot of that is riding on the shoulders of the individuals and those kids who are stepping up as leaders to hold other people accountable. And I've been feeling pretty good about that. Mm-hmm. So with with the information that you're giving to kids right now, and this ties back into what we're normally doing too, how much information or how much are you talking about things like nutrition, sleep, hydration, those sorts of things? Um, I did that a lot early on. And, uh, and that's something that I'm going to start doing more. I kind of gotten away from that. Um, but as we get closer, I'm going to start talking to kids more about um, being ready for our, our start date and getting back to to normal sleep patterns and things like that. But um, but uh, when we first got quarantined or whatever, yeah, that was something I talked about a lot with the kids, like hmm. trying to maintain normalcy as much as possible. Right, um, right. Normal sleep schedules, um, making sure that they're eating properly, like you said, and hydrating properly. That that doesn't change with the change of our environment, right? Those are, those things should always be constant. So, um, so that's important. Uh, I've kind of gotten away from that a little bit, but now, like I said, um, we're, we're hoping to start on July 6th. Okay. Um, so, you know, in these upcoming weeks, I'm going to start talking to these kids about getting back into their normal sleep patterns and things like that, which I, I know they've gotten away from, <laughs> but, uh, yeah. and, uh, and eating properly and, and things like that. So, that's a, that's important. And, you know, we, we talk about that a lot too under normal circumstances, right? Um, how much of that they take in. I don't know. I feel like, I feel like kids are buying into that stuff more these days than like when we're in high school. Oh, I think so. I, I think, <laughs> I think so. there's, there's a lot more literature out there on that. There's a lot more, 
um, you know, professional athletes that publicly put like their meals and, and all the good stuff that they're eating out there. So, um, so there's just more information to, and more buy-in for the kids, I guess. Yeah, I agree with it. I think there's more information in there. I think there's more just a general appreciation for health than maybe when we were in school <laughs> in terms of kids yeah. who like, it's not uncommon now for kids to be like, yeah, I do yoga or I meditate or like those other yeah. just sort of health things, which I think are good. But yeah, the sleep is one that has been uh, a concern for me. Not that I think now maybe our kids are getting more sleep than normal, which is good, yeah. but yeah. Uh, we do everything at six in the morning all year round. And right. I've had a lot of kids who are like, well, I've been staying up till two in the morning and then I get up at 11 and like, ah, but yeah, but soon yeah. we're going to go back to six. I hope so. <laughs> and I, I've fallen into that trap too. I'm not going to lie. Yeah. Like I, I was really proud of myself. Like the first month of quarantine, I was still going to bed at a decent time and, and <laughs> still getting up like a normal school day. And I, I was really enjoying it. I was sipping my coffee and <laughs> strolling into the morning, but you know, you, then you just get to a certain point where there's not much going on and you just, stay one one hour more you stay awake and you know and it just keeps on going and so i i gotta re i, I gotta rediscipline myself too and that's gonna be a process but yeah definitely, no. definitely good things to talk about yeah i think that's a, a good thing i've done the same where i've i think the worst health habit that i have is that typically i don't sleep for a very long time like i I fall asleep easily, but I've just, I've never been a eight hours of sleep as just something I have not really ever done. And so I've tried to use this time to like get a normal amount of sleep, but then it means like, Oh, when we get back to the room, I'm going to have to go to bed like pretty early if I want to get, (laughs) get the right amount of sleep. So that will be an adjustment as well. Yeah. So while we've been quarantined, I, you know, you and I, a lot of times we'll talk about different videos we've watched or different things we've been reading. So just for you personally, what is some of the stuff that you've been reading or looking into while we've had more downtime than usual? Um, so I've, uh, I'm pretty close to finishing my master's right now. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, over the course of quarantine, I've actually finished three classes. Oh, right on. Uh, so, so that's been keeping me busy. But um, two of my classes in particular have been really good um, talking about like uh, multiple intelligence, the multiple intelligences and stuff like that and, right. and the different ways that kids learn, um, you know, all common stuff. But just to, to dive into that a little bit more in depth, um, I had a, a class that I took on student motivation. Oh, yeah. Um, and so, so through those two classes specifically, I've, I've read a lot of good books that um, mm. I normally wouldn't have read, um, but kind of fall into the lines of my normal reading. I mean, you know, through our conversation, you know, I like to, to read about like the, the motivation type stuff and um, like the military leadership kind of books, yep. stuff like that. So, um, you know, now that things have uh, slowed down for me, I've kind of rekindled my love for reading. Yeah. And, uh, and I've, I've been able to read books um, like that too on, on my own, not necessarily um, pertaining to class. Um, but I just, I, I'm a nonfiction reader. And the reason why I like nonfiction is because I, I like to study people and I like to study what makes them tick, you know, right. especially uh, successful people, you yeah. know. Um, 
you're not really going to read about unsuccessful people because um, <laughs> no, people, uh, don't, people don't write books about them. Like, <laughs> right, uh, right. This guy was fine. He did some <laughs> average things. Right. Some of it didn't work out. Mm-hmm. But it's always intriguing. And there's no, everyone's different, you know, and especially as teachers, that's something that we got to deal with on a, a daily basis is that everyone has a different way of thinking. Mm-hmm. Uh, everyone has a different motivation. Um, everyone has a different perspective on things. Um, so the more that you can read about people and their successes and, and how they got to that point of success um, through all of these millions of routes really um, is I think important for us as, as teachers and coaches. So, um, and just, I just find that stuff interesting too. Right. So that's really been my focus, I guess. Um, the last dance I, I watched that, and like I said, I, mm-hmm. if you have it, I would strongly recommend that. And I think, I think every high school kid needs to watch that to really understand uh, what it means to be a competitor. And, mm-hmm. <laughs> and Michael Jordan might be an extreme, but, <laughs> but I think that would be pretty eye opening um, for our kids to kind of see how he handled things. Um, yeah. And I, I forget the exact name, but I, we, we watched a documentary as a, with our hockey team, mm-hmm. our hockey coach uh, in search of greatness. Right. That uh, was the documentary. Um, so our, our hockey coach got access to that for our, the hockey boys and, um, and they all watched it um, over the course of a week or whatever. And then um, we hopped on and did like a zoom meeting together, um, which I thought was extremely beneficial. And the kids did a very good job of, um, portraying what they got out of that documentary and, um, and, and things like that. So, um, so yeah, I, I think I haven't really changed what I've been reading and watching, mm-hmm. um, and, and the types of things I've just been able to do more of it. Right. And how much of that stuff just normally, cause like you and I have talked a lot about like the character and leadership types of classes and stuff. Are you bringing into your classroom and into the weight room and things like that i mean are you having kids read things and stuff like that yeah i um i don't teach a character and leadership class yet mm-hmm. <laughs> we're talking to our athletic director about um getting a leadership council started and i think we're, we're going to be able to do that here in the near future so i'm excited about that but um having like teaching kinesiology and health outside of my strength and conditioning classes I think those topics kind of naturally fall into that. Yeah. So, so yeah, we do talk about that, um, especially in health class. You know, we, we watch a lot of those videos like the, um, the Admiral McRaven video, the commencement yeah, yeah. speech and all that stuff. Uh, yeah. I, I, I do try to address some of that stuff in, in class. I probably need to, you know, probably need to do more of that in the weight room. Um, and then during our training sessions, you know, like I said, once we get going, I try to get going, but, Um, but you know, those are all good things to talk about and, and hopefully we can do that with our kids more on a a separate setting. Right. Um, But yeah. All right. Well, my last strength and conditioning question is this. Okay. Is you're a bald guy with a beard. (laughs) Yes. It seems to me there is a high percentage of strength and conditioning coaches who are (laughs) bald and have a beard. I I've had a beard for years i shaved it off during quarantine since everyone else was growing uh, quarantine beers but why do you think so many strength and conditioning coaches have the bald head and the beard <laughs> um easy maintenance 
<laughs> there you go. That's perfect. Uh, it's very conducive to early mornings when I don't have to wash my head because it's straight down to the skin. <laughs> or <pain>. No doubt. <laughs> oh, so low maintenance is one. I don't know. I, when you're in a gross, humid, warm weight room all day, the you know, and you know, I'm more of an oily guy than most. So, <laughs> um, so uh, you know, the, the greasy hair is not always the the funnest thing. So I, I don't know. It's, it is. It's it's a, it's definitely the stereotype. <laughs> <laughs> yep, yep. But no, I totally agree. It is. Uh, it's a very manageable look, especially if you are in the weight room a lot. I tell people that like my hair is pretty thin and it's like I'm sweating all day long. So it's not something I want to take care of. So it's yeah. good to have it gone. I've been embracing the bandana a lot more too, you know, soaking up. Oh, the right on, right on. Yeah. So good stuff. All <laughs> right. Well, that, that's about all I had. I mean, we've talked for over an hour already. Is there anything else that you want to add? Uh, no, I think, I don't know. I, one, one thing that I always try to pertain or like to get across to people like coaches, fellow coaches, um, athletes is just like always be willing to learn, be a lifelong learner. So I, and I think that anyone who watches um, this podcast, whether they're a kid or adult, I think that's, that's a message that I always try to relay. And I, I think that's good for everybody. Like I just, I, I have a very low tolerance for people who think they know everything <laughs> right? because I just, I think that's dumb. There's so much out there to, to learn and know that it's, that's impossible. So, um, so yeah, I just keep learning and, you know, for the kids, especially, you know, try to understand the why and don't be afraid to ask coaches, you know, in a, in a respectful way. And when the time is appropriate about uh, why you're doing things so that you can fully buy in and, and understand the why so that you can make the most out of your training. Um, like I said, there's a, there's a way to go about it and a time to go about it. But um, I, I think that's important. And, uh, you know, same with parents too. You know, I try to have meetings with parents to explain to them what we do and why we do it um, so that they, that they're educated on it and know, but, um, but in all phases of life, never stop learning. There's always something to, there's always something more to know. Well said, we'll end on that. I'll stop the recording, but thanks for being here, man. Uh, much love, brother. Thanks for having me.